Hi, this is Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 48 of the Clarinet Podcast, the show where I discuss all that's new and neat with clarinet with the neatest people in the industry. today's episode, I speak with Eric Salazar about how he grew his Facebook artist page by over 6,000% in 2016 alone. He's now one of the most followed clarinetists on Facebook, second only to Martin Frost. Some topics of discussion include how to use your social media time effectively, making something out of nothing, finding your audience, and future-proofing that audience. I'd like to thank Eric for submitting an amazing guest post to clarinet.com on how to build your Facebook page, develop great content, and start building a following. You can find this and the show notes for this episode at www.clarinet.com. If you'd like to receive free content updates, coupons, and have the chance to win giveaways mentioned on the podcast, be sure to subscribe with your email address at www.clarinet.com slash subscribe. Also, the Clarinet Podcast is supported in part by its listeners. I'd like to thank new Patreon sponsor, Yuri. And if you'd like to learn how you can support the podcast, please see clarinet.com support. One more quick thing before we get started with season two is I'd like to thank Michael Lowenstern for providing the awesome new theme music. If you haven't checked out his latest album called Sway, I highly recommend that you do so. And the track that starts and ends the podcast now is called Stomp. And now for my conversation with Eric Salazar after a brief message from our sponsor. This episode was brought to you by D'Addario Woodwinds. Sanding, shaping, balancing. For centuries, mastering your instrument meant mastering these crafts too. But now, D'Addario is refining craftsmanship for the 21st century by refining their reeds and mouthpieces with the world's most innovative techniques. So you can spend less time sanding, shaping, and balancing, and more time perfecting your own craft. To learn more about the new era of craftsmanship from Dedario Woodwinds, visit Dedario.com woodwinds. So I'm here today with Eric Salazar, who is actually the first guest to come back for a round two interview. Welcome to Clarinet for the second time, Eric. Hey, man, it's awesome to be back. And you know what's really cool, too, is that, uh, and this is just one of the amazing things that this, this podcast has led to, is I'm not sure I would have ever really met Eric, but we actually, through this, connected down at Clarinet Fest in uh, Kansas City, or sorry, um, Lawrence, Kansas, over the summer, yeah. and we even did like a live broadcast for those of you who caught that down there, and uh, I held Eric to task and, and had him do sort of a, <laughs> I guess he volunteered, but we did sort of a live improv jam session, which was also really cool, so really, really cool stuff, and uh, we took in a lot of concerts down there, and uh hung out a bit. So overall, just a great time. But today, Eric is here to share with us, um, kind of to expand on what he talked about the first time with music business, but also share how he grew his Facebook page by over 6,000% in 2016 alone. So Eric, this is one of those topics that I'm actually extremely interested in too. So (laughs) let's get started. Sweet. Cool. So how did you do it? What's the trick? Is there a trick? Is it a lot of tricks? What's the What's the rundown of how, how someone might go to grow their artist Facebook page? You have to understand that just creating the page and sitting on it is not enough. Mm-hmm. That would be like printing business cards and then just leaving them in your desk. So you have to um, invest resources in 
to your Facebook artist page. It's the same as any business topic. You have to invest time and uh, income into it. So the main reason that my page has grown and when I see other really successful pages that grow rapidly, the main reason uh, there's three things. First being, you know your target audience. So you have to know who you're going after. If you try to appeal to everyone when you're first getting started, you usually don't appeal to anyone. This is why, uh, in my opinion, clarinet is so awesome because you know exactly who your target audience is. It's people who love clarinet. That is a very <laughs> specific part of the population, and that's fantastic. So you need to have a specific audience in mind. And then the second thing is you need to know your content. So uh, for those of you who are maybe just getting started looking into business skills, content as it applies to Facebook is what you're posting, your videos, your pictures, um, any notes you make or links you share. That's what content is. So again, using Claire Neat as an example, uh, Sean knows what kind of content he needs to produce for his audience if he wants to go after people who love clarinet, then he needs to post content that's all about the clarinet, beautiful images of the clarinet, interviews with clarinet players. That's the right content and the right audience. I suspect that today I'll probably talk a lot about item number three on this list, which is actually Facebook advertising. So this is, um, I actually, uh, and lots of people do this, you invest money into advertising your page. So I view that as um, the equivalent of like if we're using the business card analogy again, investing money in your Facebook page by advertising is like making sure that you can put your business cards where the right people can see them. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, those are the three main reasons. And, uh, like I said, today I'll probably talk a lot about that advertising aspect because that's one of the that's probably the most significant reason why it's grown the way it has. Interesting. So there's a lot of real nuggets of information there. I'd like to sort of expand upon. Let's go back sure. to the time commitment um, first, because I know that a lot of people are going to say, "Well, you know," well, and the money commitment, I guess, but. I work a full-time job. Maybe how am I going to find the time to invest also in a Facebook page, especially when the Facebook page isn't at a stage where it's giving back yet. So is it one of those things where like, if you build it, they will come or do you kind of have to, is it an ongoing workflow that you're doing or, and how do you find the time? Yeah. So, um, full disclosure, I have a full-time arts administration job and then, so in um, other words, no excuses for everybody else. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if your concern <laughs> is that you don't have the time, um, I would equate it to what I tell my students when they claim to not have the time to practice. You, you don't find time. Time's not a magical treasure that you find with a treasure map. You make time. Uh, so uh, That's such a good point. Actually, everybody <laughs> is given the same amount of time in a day. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but the time commitment, it, I would say that it's ongoing for me. It's every day I put in a little bit of time. Some days I put in hours, some days it's more like a half hour. It just kind of depends on what my total workflow is that week for all of my commitments. Um, my time on Facebook is like, I hardly ever use it for personal use. Mm -hmm. It's almost 
always, always for professional purposes. I'm actually kind of uh, an introvert in some ways. I'm a little shy, so I don't really like post my feelings that much on Facebook. So it's all professional for me. And um, the professional time is you're creating content towards uh, that guides your audience towards a business goal. Mm -hmm. So if you are a instrument maker, then your business goal is for people to buy your instrument. If you're a someone who's building a private studio, then your content should direct people towards um, hiring you as a teacher. So when I talk about investing time into Facebook, uh, I mean, creating content that guides people towards the result I want. So for me, uh, I'm using my Facebook artist page to help myself be able to perform the way I want to. Mm -hmm. So when I put time into it, I'm analyzing the data that Facebook offers me. So like, you know, age range of people who like my page, where they're from, that kind of thing. I'm also creating content. And I don't mean just like typing a random sentence. I mean, really sitting down and taking maybe 20 minutes to think about, okay, what kind of picture should I post to engage my audience. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other thing that I know is going to come up from this conversation, uh, maybe from listeners, is um, how much time do you need to put in to get the results that you want? And I can tell you miraculously somehow in the past like week, just recently, I got three gigs. Um, and all of them, uh, one of them I know is a direct result of my social media presence. And two of them I know were heavily influenced by it. What do you mean by that? I mean, someone clicked the book now link on your page or, or it was a friend of a friend who saw you perform online or what happened? Yeah. So the one that was a direct result was um, someone was searching for it's it's a teaching gig. It was someone was searching for a clarinet teacher. So they typed clarinet and Indianapolis into Facebook and my page was the one that popped up. Then they went to my website from my Facebook page and from my website, I've got this nice uh, section of the page that talks about my private studio. So wait a second here. Let's just take a moment to consider what this means. I hadn't thought about this. Are you telling me people are searching Facebook as if it were like a Google of people? Yeah, so you can search uh, on Google or on Facebook. And I think that this person, uh, the mom was just happened to be on Facebook and was just searching on Facebook for, you know, clarinet. And wow. then the, what, uh, so the fact that my Facebook is linked to my website, that's what sealed the deal uh, for her. She went over to my website and then was able to see my contact information. And then she contacted me. That's crazy. And you know what? This is maybe, um, I don't want to get into some sort of like mad political debate here or anything like that, but um, a lot of people are, in my opinion, way too forthcoming with their opinions on Facebook and posting of things that maybe aren't appropriate um, and not even appropriate in the fact that it's not okay to hold your own opinion. But you have to realize when you put something out there that a potential client may see it. Um, right. And you have to be very, I don't know if you should be wary, but just mindful of the fact that if you're a freelance musician, the world is kind of your, your job. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, if it's not appropriate to maybe share something at work, 
maybe as a freelancer, you should think about that in your everyday activities. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, and the points that you're making, that's the very reason I decided to make an artist page for my business versus staying with a personal page. Because I wanted my business page to be, okay, this is my professional image. Mm -hmm. And then my personal page is what I use to like interact with my friends and post stupid videos and all that. But (laughs) I wanted something so that when someone searched for Eric Salazar as a clarinetist, it was my professional image. So the second aspect of this money then, um, how much, you don't have to disclose, you know, exact numbers, but, but how much would be reasonable for someone to spend um, to budget for some type of advertising and how can one do a good job of, of advertising their materials on Facebook? Yeah. So, um, I'll tell you right now, my first year of it, which was last year, I was working with, uh, just compared to other businesses, pretty small numbers. I invested, uh, $1,500 into Facebook advertising. It's pretty low, um, when you think about it. And so, uh, And if I'm using the three gigs I just got as an example for the payoff of this, the return on investment, um, I know that two of them are performance gigs and they will be a couple hundred dollars each. And then the teaching gig is about 200 if stay with me for the whole year. So that's already, um, you know, close to 33% of a return on investment just Mm -hmm. from three three uh, little gigs. And that's not everything that happened in 2016. I got quite a bit of a return on it. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's about how much I invested in my first year. So there's, you know, this all, these three gigs you're talking about right now, they all came up within the last couple of days, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So there, there's just a couple of days of sort of how this benefit might, might pay off. Um, what do you have to say about other non-material benefits? What kind of things have you experienced that you know, didn't put money in your pocket, but made a new connection or, or led to something else cool. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely feel like my presence online makes me, uh, it makes me appear online. So it, mm-hmm. amidst all of the stuff that's on <laughs> Facebook and on the internet, it, uh, allows me to pop up and it's led to a couple really amazing collaborations. I collaborated with this uh, rock musician, he wanted some clarinet and bass clarinet on his album. So I recorded in the studio with him some rock clarinet. Oh, wow. And it also has led to a very recent collaboration, which is going so well. Um, there's a kind of bluegrass singer-songwriter musician, Austin Sterling, and uh, he's got a band called The Hang Dog Hearts. And he was looking to do sort of a stripped down set with a gypsy jazz feel. And so he searched for clarinet because that was the instrument he associated with gypsy jazz. And that was me. So we've been playing together. We've got a gig uh, in a couple of weeks here, actually. Uh, and apart from that, I not that I particularly care about uh, prestige or fame. It's being visible in my community is really, really something that means a lot to me. So it, I'm not just some clarinet player. I'm... Eric Salazar, you know, I'm a good clarinet player in the city and they can also see some of the things I'm doing, which I happen to be trying to make music that benefits the community. 
what do you think about the fact that you're performing your own music? Do you think that that has an element of sort of elevating you on the Facebook um, side than if you just sat around playing orchestral excerpts or standard repertoire for for hours on end? <laughs> that's uh, that's a good question. Um, I I think that. For me, given my personality and how I do things, I really like to, uh, like we talked about on my first appearance on Clarinet, I mentioned that I like to build things that are completely my own, something from nothing. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's certainly helped uh, my pages, my social media presence's ability to grow. But I, I don't think that this rapid rate of growth is limited to someone like me who's a clarinetist composer, you know, combining modern electronics with uh, classical traditions. I don't think it's limited to that. I think that I've just done a good job of finding a market for my art. Mm -hmm. And I think that anyone who does that, who they, they really sit down and think, okay, who's my audience? What does my audience want to see? I think anyone who goes through that process will be able to get results regardless of their genre of art. Well, I didn't, yeah, I didn't mean to denigrate, um, you know, the classics or practicing for orchestral auditions. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess what I was saying is, do you think that the audience is equally big? Like, let's say that I'm, and I'm not, but let's say that I'm preparing for an orchestral audition. Um, and that's my main goal. Should I also consider this avenue for self-promotion? Do you think it could be as beneficial or are there some avenues that maybe don't make sense to do this with? I think that someone who is trying to do the traditional classical gigs, uh, you know, like weddings and subbing for orchestras, I think that uh, it's probably not as beneficial as what I'm doing for my career because my career is like pretty much only me playing my music. And then I started a chamber ensemble recently. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't think that it would be a waste of time because it would, there are ways on Facebook where you can push your page uh, to, uh, like I was talking about earlier, the audience you want. And if the audience you want is, all of the contractors in your city that would possibly hire a classical clarinet player, then having a page could be beneficial to you because you could push your posts and your content to those, uh, you know, personnel managers. I think that what you're kind of warning against and sort of a theme of what's happening here is you're warning against sort of becoming one of, of many. You have to find what makes the page you or what makes your industry you, even if that you is just pursuing, you know, orchestral jobs, maybe there's a way you can stand out as people follow your progress. Are you aware of right. Rob Knopper? Uh, no, I'm not. He has a website called auditionhacker.com. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And he, yeah. you know, he has a job, a very prestigious job. Um, he's a percussionist actually, but he has built a whole following around the audition process and how people can, can, uh, sort of better their chances and improve their success rates. And it's amazing. And I, I imagine there's, there's other avenues like this. Mm -hmm. So yeah, here's a question that, you know, maybe stems from a personal issue with my own, uh, <laughs> my own artist Facebook page. Um, so you've got all your friends to follow. You've got all your family members to follow. A couple new people have followed. How do you deal with that hump? You've been through everyone you can invite on Facebook. 
you've reached a point where it's sort of stagnant for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I'm hoping that uh, I can get you, Sean, an image of, I have a chart that tracks the growth of my Facebook page and it shows exactly when I was in that hump of like having only 150 people for a few months. Uh, (laughs) But what made mine grow was when I again sat down and really invested uh, money and time into it. And there's this free training program on Facebook called Facebook Blueprint. And it's essentially Facebook business professionals uh, created a bunch of courses on, uh, they're like, you know, 10 to 15 minute, uh, courses Mm -hmm. and they're how to actually use the tool that is Facebook. Uh, so how to get into your page and mess with those settings and like the nitty gritty stuff of creating an advertisement that will help uh, your page grow. But yeah, um, I, I would say that if you are wanting to have a large following on Facebook, um, investing money into the advertising is a necessity. No business is able to um, grow 100% organically without investing money in advertising and marketing at some point. No business is able to do that. So for those who missed the first episode with Eric, I think it was episode eight, you might want to go back and sort of listen through that. I don't want to recap on too much of it right now, but um, you might be asking, well, wait a minute, it's not a business, it's, it's just me trying to promote my, my instrument, but what Eric, um, believes strongly in and what many musicians nowadays, you know, including myself actually are beginning to understand and believe more and more is that running your freelance career or even your musical career, it it actually is a business and it can be helpful to look at it in that way and, and take it seriously in that way if you want returns and if you want it to become something successful. I say that my, uh, belief is that 100% 100% first I got to make sure that I make a quality product which mm. for me that means writing good music being able to perform and uh, being able to teach but if no one knows that you're good at what you do then no one can hire you to do what you do absolutely and that's a point that Seth Haynes was touching on too actually is that uh, you have to be no one gets hired from their practice room they get hired right. you know when <laughs> When they meet someone at a gig, when they are out there being seen on social media. And Mm -hmm. uh, so what do you say? You you mentioned yourself. You are an introvert, a little bit shy at times. (laughs) I have to say I find that surprising. But I also understand because I'm actually the same way. And how do you get past that? How do you what would you suggest to people who are having the same kind of thought? Like, I don't want to be seen playing my instrument on YouTube. What if it's not perfect? Yeah, yeah. And that's a huge hurdle that I had to get over to uh, grow this social media presence, which has, as we've discussed, led to me earning a better living as a musician. That was a huge Mm -hmm. hurdle. Being able to post, uh, you know, even just like pictures of me sitting there with my clarinet, but also certainly the videos of performing something that maybe wasn't exactly perfect, but was artistically satisfying and expressive enough that it would mean something to someone. So if you're in the same position, if you're like me, where you, <laughs> your finger just like hovers over that submit button for like five minutes because you're concerned about what other people are going to think, um, just focus on uh, the message you're trying to send. And 
something that I learned in the past few years is that something doesn't have to be perfect to be meaningful. Yes. You know, I, I totally agree with that. And I think that in some ways musicians are being held almost to an unfair standard to themselves with the advent of recording. And I think that a little bit of mistake here and there is something that's just actually part of live performance. It happens, you know? Um, and I, I can think of an example. I know many people will disagree with this, but you know what? That's just okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can think of a, recently I had my debut concert for my CD release and there was one piece, you know, I don't know what I was thinking, but the drummers started doing their thing uh, to accompany me. And then I grabbed the wrong clarinet and started. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, whoops. And I, I made kind of a joke of it, but I engaged with the audience and everybody laughed. And, and I thanked the drummers for, you know, keeping going. And it was just a funny moment. And when I posted it online, I really waffled back and forth because I put it on YouTube. I waffled back and forth about that, whether I should post it. And I just was like, you know what? For me, it was kind of a magical moment. Like I had everybody in the palm of my hand. They all laughed at me. Not at, <laughs> they all laughed with me, I guess. <laughs> Maybe some at. But everybody laughed. We had a moment. It was kind of a cool thing. I felt, this is kind of weird. I felt like it was more like a, a, a pop rock concert or something. Mm -hmm. Like, and this kind of stuff happens all the time. And, and, uh, it, the venue was appropriate for that. I mean, it was a jazz lounge. Yeah. I think I would have felt different if I was on stage at Carnegie hall. Um, <laughs> but you know, there's also this sort of psychological phenomenon. I don't want to get into a huge conversation about this, but they say that someone who displays, um, a small amount of, uh, I don't want to call it personal weakness, but something that people can relate to they actually become more likable. So they, they did studies where someone came in in like an absolutely clear cut suit and did a presentation. And then they asked the, the group of people at the end how much they respected them. And then they did the same study with a different group of people. But before the presentation started, the person kind of tripped and, you know, spilled a little bit of coffee. And <laughs> that little, that one little aspect, of course, it didn't affect the entire presentation, but it made the person more relatable and likable, which I found really, really interesting. I can't remember which book that's from. Um, I wish I could, but, but what do you think about that? Is there an element to this in, in music too? Yeah, I think that um, art is human. And so at the end of the day, we have to be human. We can't be perfection. And uh, when I, you know, relating it to the social media stuff, when I post content, it's okay if it's not perfect because my audience doesn't want to see, you know, perfect Eric Salazar being perfect all the time. My audience wants to see a human being who's an artist. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. And you know, Seth Haynes, you know, to keep bringing him up, but he does have some other very good points, which I think that that sort of apply here as well. He said that one of the interesting things about a Facebook group is that you can still have the professional output. You can still have an album. You can still have a tour. You can still have a live performance, but Facebook, if done correctly, helps show people the process, not just the result. And that's what people are genuinely interested in. Anyone can mm -hmm. just go read a book, but not everyone can tell the story of how it's written. Yeah, that's, that's definitely what's popular right now. Um, the, the ideology of the artist on the pedestal and, you know, no one could possibly like reach them or interact with them. That's falling way out of style. Uh, yeah. these days people want to know, they want to, their way of connecting is understanding, which that makes perfect sense. So they want to know how you're 
you know, playing those altissimo notes, how are you doing that glissando? And so if you can show them, if you can tell them that story, they're really engaged and then really connected. And then later on down the road, when you try to, uh, you know, convert a sale or something, they feel connected enough to feel comfortable supporting your art. You know, what's funny is I think that we've all put artists on a pedestal, um, in a way for, for too long and social media is kind of allowing them to come off and be, be normal people again. And I don't think anything's lost in the process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're still going to have that amazing mind blowing album, you know, they're still going to have that and it's still going to be the finest quality art. Uh, it's just, you know, kind of letting everyone else in to see the process. I don't think that's a problem at all either. You know, and it's something that has, has happened even through the ages. Are you familiar with uh, Joy Division? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a rock band from like the early 80s, late 70s. Um, I guess you can't really call them rock. But anyways, <laughs> I remember I read the book about their their lead singer um, who tragically committed suicide just before their first American tour. But beside the point, um, he when he first wanted to start a band, they him and his bandmates went to a Sex Pistols concert with the goal of finding out like, wait a minute, are these people really inhuman? Like what? And he, when he left the concert, the reason they, they went as far as they did is because he looked and he was like, wait a minute, that's just a guy on stage. Anyone can do this. Why can't I, you know? And they, when they first started their band, like they really let the idiosyncrasies of their music come through on the album, which, which led to new, new heights. But there was things like Peter Hook who became, who went on to become a, you know, part of new order. Um, he would play really high notes on his bass not mm-hmm. because he didn't want to play low, but because his amp was so bad <laughs> that only the high <laughs> notes would come through. So, but this became a part of their signature sound. So you've got to, you've got to run with what you have, run with what you can, can do. And uh, for you, that, that comes down to be, you love improvising, you're mm-hmm. working on your own electronic music, which that's led to some very interesting gig opportunities since we last talked. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Oh man. It's so fun. <laughs> uh, it's fun. Uh, I just, I love it, but yeah. Um, I mean, uh, probably the biggest thing I, I won't present like the entire list or anything. Cause <laughs> I don't want to bore anyone who's listening, but probably the biggest thing is that I was awarded an emerging artist fellowship. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. From the city of Indianapolis. Um, Basically, I wrote a proposal and I explained what it is I do and why uh, I think what I do is really cool. And one of the reasons that I think what I do is really cool is because um, in Indianapolis, at least, it's I I don't know if anyone else is doing it. (laughs) I don't know if anyone else is a solo clarinetist who's combining classical with modern electronics. Uh, So that's a... um, that's a pretty awesome fellowship and they're actually funding a concert tour for me throughout uh, the state of Indiana. Wow. And that's gonna, yeah, that's gonna happen. Uh, we're starting that in April, I think of this year. So do you have a couple tips for writing a, a successful proposal or is it kind of like a grant or what, what would you yeah, consider? It, it was a very similar process of a grant application, except the difference is, in addition to the quality of the proposal being measured, the quality of the art itself was being measured. So that's about the only difference. But yeah, uh, my advice for those kinds of things is, one, um, if you think you can't do it, try doing it anyway. <laughs> because so many people put it, they start like 
their application, they get about 20% in and then they get cold feet and they, that's like, that's most of the, the cutoff is the people who start and then give up. So don't give up. Uh, and then the second point is to, um, clearly and concisely explain who you are, what you do and why it matters. Did you have to lay out a budget for this too? I did. Yes. So that took some time as well, researching approximately what marketing expenses would cost and what a venue rental would cost, uh, that kind of thing. The big thing to understand about the budgeting is that most people want an itemized budget. So itemized means you list all of the things that you need and what they cost. So that requires... Yeah, exactly what they cost. And that requires some research on your end. But if you do it right, then, I mean, you can get like a fully funded concert tour. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know how it worked exactly for this application, but if if it's allowed, I would even recommend including, let's say that you're, you're planning a tour and you go to United's website and you get an airline quote, mm-hmm. attach that quote, yes. you, know, take, yes. you know, take a screenshot and put it on your document. Because then they can see, oh, he says it's going to cost $427. Well, oh, look, there it is. <laughs> yeah, you know? right. Those, uh, those are called supporting documents. Yes. And grants usually have, um, if not an unlimited, they have a pretty large amount of supporting documents that you can provide. And all you do is exactly what Sean just said. You know, get that document and then just have a little caption that says, explaining item or explaining airfare travel in itemized budget section C or whatever. Keep in mind that one reason you may not get a grant, and this sounds really bizarre, is because you didn't ask for enough money sometimes. Mm, You know, mm -hmm. if you, if you say, oh, I'm going to go record an album and I think it'll cost me a thousand bucks and you just ask for a thousand (laughs) bucks, you're going to be sorely mistaken when you find out the actual cost of doing these things. And a granting agency is not going to give you that thousand bucks if it actually needs 10 because they know you won't be able to complete it. Right. So right. it's kind of like, do you ever watch shark tank? Mm-mm. It's the show entrepreneurs come in, they, they market their business to like, <laughs> and then they try and sell part of their business. It's pretty interesting, but it's kind of uh, like that. The people come in with crazy valuations. They don't leave with a deal. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So anyways, well, Eric, this has been absolutely fantastic. Is there anything else you want to share about running a absolutely incredibly successful Facebook page? (laughs) Um, If you want to grow your social media presence, um, again, you have to know why you're doing it. So if you're like, I just want 4,000 followers because that's cool, then you're not going to get real business results. If you go into it thinking, okay, I want to have a large social media presence so I can use that as leverage to generate my own gigs by convincing venue owners that I do have a following, then that is a very successful plan. That's, that's the reason that I did it. It's one of the reasons. So I could convince venues to let me come in and play my weird music. Basically, That's actually really interesting because so what you're saying is, is if you now call a venue, like the point of many venues having music for the night or hiring a musician for the night is, you know, it's down to business again. They want to bring in revenue from selling, uh, you know, beer or food or, or tickets or whatever. Right. So if you can show that you have a large following already, they view it as you would be a good option. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. Because, um, you know, I'm, uh, 
a local artist, quote unquote, uh, in the eyes of the venues that I'm contacting. And it's especially challenging for someone like me who's not fully classical, but not fully something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I, like I'm not a rocker who I'm going to do covers of rock music. That's that's not me. So it requires a little bit of extra convincing since they're unfamiliar with the music genre itself. And the this is called a metric or a piece of data. Uh, the metric that I have is that I have, you know, 10,000 supporters on Facebook, which shows them without question, it is a fact that I do have a following for this kind of music. What percentage of your followers would you say are local versus international or national? And, and how does that matter? Does it matter? Mm, yeah. So um, I've got about 3,000 followers in Central and South America. I think that's because of my last name, Salazar. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so, uh, and then everyone else is, uh, I mean, the rest of them, I'd say, are like 90% in the United States. So have you considered touring down there then? Uh, when I do international tours, that's definitely on the list of places to go. Because I love your I, optimism. We always say like things like when instead of if. It's, it's good. <laughs> yeah, that's the old habit that's worked out so far. So I just keep it. But yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's definitely on the list of places to go. Since I know there's a market for it, I don't need to go and see for my own eyes the, the 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 internet and all the data is showing me there's a market for my music and my last name down there. <laughs> but yeah, as far as uh, whether or not it matters. Um, you don't want to have like 10,000 followers in France and then go try to play in California. And then obviously none of the people who live in France are going to come to your show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's not what you want. But um, that's uh, now we're getting into a conversation that sort of combines what social media can be used for and then what else has to be sort of the traditional business methods of mm-hmm. like word of mouth and passing out flyers to get people. But I would say that uh, you want as much as you can to have it be local, but certainly don't be afraid to go international because that can only help you. Well, they say that even Bob Dylan had to leave home to get famous and maybe, maybe (laughs) leaving home doesn't actually mean literally leaving in this day and age. Like there are even rock artists in the States who have a bigger following in like Mexico than they do in America simply because of the way that their music resonates with those people. Right. Um, so that's very, very, very cool. And I imagine that would be, you know, a benefit for grant writing too. If you're trying to write for a tour to South America, they would ask someone like me, well, why the heck do you want to go to South America? But you could say, <laughs> well, 30% of my fans are are down right. there. Or sorry, not yeah. South, did you see South America and Central America? Yeah. So it's Mexico and Peru are the two biggest countries. Wow. That's, that's crazy. Uh, well, the States is first, but then those two are the, the yeah. non- Wow. So 30% in Mexico and Peru, and then about 90% of the remaining 70% are American, you'd yeah. say. And then there's me. No, it's gonna, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> and then it's spread out, you know, some Canadians yeah. and some Europeans. <laughs> wow, that's super cool. I'm, I'm so happy for your success with this, and I hope that everyone can really learn from this. Before we wrap up, I want to play devil's advocate for just one minute, because um, two questions have come to mind. And uh, sure. one of them is sort of a doubt I'm having about Facebook. And the other is sort of just a, just a reality of the way the internet works. So the first question, what, how do you go about actually contacting your audience? Because one of the most bizarre things about Facebook, um, over the years, and it was not always this way 
for those of us who are, you know, relics of 2006 or seven, <laughs> whenever it first came out, I remember when, you know, maybe I had a hundred friends, a post would get, you know, 80 likes or something because most of your friends saw it. But now, you know, many people have over a thousand or more Facebook friends and especially for pages, it's really, really hard to actually reach your audience without paying for it, which is super ironic and bizarre because these people have given consent to follow you and then you have to sort of pay for those, those impressions. So how are you dealing with that now that this new algorithm and change has has come into play and how do you feel about having to pay to reach your own audience? Mm, Yeah. Uh, I mean, that is definitely the tricky part about Facebook and that's, what prevents a lot of people from uh, actually pursuing doing this because you do have to uh, put money on the table to get your uh, your page in people's feeds. Um, some strategies that you can use to actually literally get in contact with people. Um, when you do post content, have a phrase or this is called a call to action. Have a call to action that encourages people to message you or interact on the post. Mm. Okay. So every time anyone uh, comments on your post, there's, you can like that comment, but you can also message the person that did that as your business page. Mm. So by having them comment on your post and interact with your posts, uh, that gives you the ability to send them a direct message. So if you post a video of yourself playing, and then you go, hey, guys, what do you think? And then people con- or comment on it and they're like, wow, that's, you know, what an interesting sound. Then you can then message them and go, hey, I saw you commented on my post. Thanks so much. And then that's when you start enacting whatever business tools you have. Like, would you like to be on my email subscriber list? Or, hey, I've got a deal going on right now at 20% off this product or, uh, you know, 15% off ticket sales, that kind of thing. So it's, it's basically creating uh, quality content. And then when people do interact with it, you have to put in the effort to go after them and contact them. That call to action is so important. Way too many people use their artist page kind of like a, a news outlet. Like, oh, look, I played this concert. Why would someone yep. comment on that? <laughs> yeah. You know, right. say, yeah. how did you like the way I phrased the third bar of this piece? Yes. You know, yes. that leads to a question that puts was a thought in people's mind. You're very good mm-hmm. at that. Um, and also with the live videos, like you'll, you'll say something like, mm. uh, what was the one today? Um, you posted something just today. Oh yeah. I posted something that, uh, uh, I basically, I played a low E on my clarinet. So all the air was coming out of the bell and then I passed over a <laughs> snare drum and made the snare drum buzz with my instrument. <laughs> That's pretty cool. But yeah. I watched was, that and I liked, I liked it. It was something like, LOL, what do you think of this? Or something like that. I forget. <laughs> 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 Even something like that though just gets people engaged for a moment like it, it doesn't have to be a concert it just is something interesting that people might you know right. want to take part in so this leads me to my last question um which is kind of the darkest in a way but what if facebook goes the way of myspace what other social avenues are you pursuing and how do you pull people off of the website into sort of a future-proof plan mm, great 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 question uh and before I answer it, I'll just say all of your social media stuff should be uh, pulling people or linking people to the place you actually want them to be. 
So if you want people to go to your contact page on your website, you should be periodically posting content that's like, hey, check out the contact page on my website. So it actually pulls them over because you know that's not going away. That's your website. Yeah. Uh, but as far as other social media outlets I use, I use Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. Those are my big three. I've got uh, I've got a YouTube channel. It's I'm sort of sitting on that for now until I get uh, more of a following uh, and can start posting more videos on that. But um, out of those three, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr, I find that I get the least business results from Instagram. Yes. Inst Instagram allows a lot of people to see what I'm doing and see my content, but it's really difficult to actually get a business result from Instagram. The reason, in case you're not familiar with Instagram, is because you can't put links. You're unable right. to put links in your posts, which makes it virtually yeah. useless. It's like the opposite of Pinterest. Yeah. Pinterest yeah. links directly to your content. Instagram, like, it's very weird. But uh, yeah. it, it, Instagram gets great, for me anyway, it, it does get great um, response. People are interested in the posts, but they don't do anything, just like you said. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So like, you know, you get a bunch of likes. That's awesome. But you haven't linked them over to anything that you actually want for a business result. Uh, but I'd also I'd like to bring up Tumblr. I started Tumblr just a few months ago and I am amazed at the level of engagement that I'm getting on Tumblr. People are messaging me, asking me about my art. People are like sharing me playing my clarinet all over and commenting about how you know they like it and how they're inspired and uh, some people are even like where can I get an album of this so I'm so amazed at Tumblr. Tumblr is a completely different community than Facebook it, it serves a different purpose and on Tumblr the etiquette is what you do is you share things that you like of other people mm. and being one of the few artists who's doing clarinet and electronics on Tumblr I'm like that guy in the Tumblr world. And like I said, I mean, people, it's like every other day, people are messaging me, uh, not always like getting a business result, but they're messaging me just saying really encouraging things like they appreciate my art. Hmm. This is so interesting to me because, you know, as someone who just discovered Pinterest, I've actually never heard of Tumblr. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like I've got another one to do now. How, how do you deal with trying to spread your time across multiple platforms? Mm, yeah, uh, just recycle content, use the same content. Some people warn about using different content, like they say that you should use different content on different platforms. I basically, I use the same content. I optimize it for each platform. So, you know, yeah. everything's the right resolution and the phrasing. I might change the, the title of a video or something more suited to the audience I have on Tumblr versus Facebook. But yeah, just recycle that content. So not to seem like I'm being obtuse, but what if Tumblr and Instagram were to go the way of MySpace? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you uh, have well, an email yeah. list is I guess what I'm getting at? Yeah. Yeah. I've got an email list of, uh, it's, uh, it's growing and it's close to a thousand, uh, I think. So, uh, that's, that's what, that's like the best thing you can be doing right now is building an email list. The tricky part about building an email list is that it's hard to do only with email. So like my social media stuff is funneling people into that email list. And you can view if you're listening uh, at home and you 
maybe just getting started with business stuff, you can view the email list as like the pinnacle of people who care about what you do, yeah. basically. So social media, you're going to, you might have tons of followers. Not all of them are going to be quote unquote buyers. All of them hopefully are supporters of your art, but maybe not all of them are buyers. And the email list, that's, those are the people, you know, these people care about my art and these people are more likely to buy an album if it comes out. So last year when I saw you at Clarinet Fest, I remember you saying that your goal for the year was to reach 10,000 followers. You've done that. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. So what's next? What's your uh, next so, goal? Yeah, I'm toying around. There's, uh, I want to continue to exponentially grow my following. Of course, that's, that's on the radar. Uh, it seems like perhaps 10,000 a year might be something I could achieve. So let's just double it for next year, hopefully. So we'll have to check back in, uh, yeah. and see how that goes. You know, I think that uh, that's actually a pretty reasonable goal because these things kind of tend to snowball. I was surprised yeah. you didn't quote a higher number. <laughs> well, that's because the other idea I'm toying around with is, um, I, so I'm a member of fractured Atlas. Mm. It's, uh, have you heard of fractured Atlas? It's an ensemble, right? Um, it's, it's an arts organization that helps people get started, uh, before they go to nonprofit status. So they basically, oh, they see. help you, they help you fundraise. They provide a lot of education about, you know, how to do the nonprofit thing. It's a resource for artists basically. Um, so one of the things that I'm toying around with doing is I'm trying to think about the best way to launch a, uh, a donation campaign so that I can, uh, quit my full-time job and be a full-time artist. So that, since I have this following now, that would entail basically coming up with a fundraising campaign. Um, and what I'm toying around with right now is a dollar a month. Uh, and then if, you know, 10,000 people were to do that, that would be way more than enough for me to be able to just go full-time artist. Absolutely. And is that something you're thinking of doing through Patreon or some other source? Um, well, the thing about Fractured Atlas is they have their own uh, system all set up oh, and I all see. that. So I need to uh, just hunker down. I've been doing a lot of grant applications and competition applications this month. So I'm, or January's over. So hopefully next week I can start looking at this. But I'm just trying to think of how to activate this following because I don't have you know, products to sell. I, I don't have, like, I'm not selling reeds or mouthpieces or anything like that. I'm basically just, uh, the only thing I can sell is my art. And when you have just one, uh, one revenue stream, uh, you tend to have less money than if you have multiple revenue streams. Mm -hmm. So I figure that, um, in this day and age, people want to support art, but, for example, buying an album's kind of a commitment because it's almost, I mean, if people are using Spotify, then like buying a CD is almost like an inconvenience for them because they have to not listen to their Spotify and yeah. use CDs. So I'm thinking I've got all these people who want to support my art. What can be a very, very inexpensive way for them to do that? And the idea that came to my mind was uh, just having them donate very, very small amount of money uh, so that I can switch from being a arts administrator and artist to only an artist. 
You know, and those micro donations, they really add up. And it's something that I've started to experiment with Clarinet here as well. I mean, I've set up a Patreon page and, you know, I would encourage anyone who's interested to check that out. And also, if you're interested in Eric's music, look into to his um, efforts in this regard, too. And I have to say, it's so important. Those, those dollars, even a dollar a month or something can really mm-hmm. can really help support what it is that you're 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 enjoying and try and consider the value that something might add to your life. You know, I mean, you have a cup of coffee, it's $4, it lasts for 30 minutes and then you need another one in six hours. I mean, <laughs> if you find yourself listening to Eric's music all the time or, or the podcast every week or something like that, what is that worth to you? And what would happen to you if it were to simply stop, you know? And, um, it can really, it can really just go a long way. So I think it's a, a great way to, to pursue it. But the hard part of course is connecting with people and, and having them cross that bridge of, uh, you know, actually making a payment, which can be so difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I, you know, going back to Tumblr, like people feel so comfortable supporting my art on Tumblr. And that's sort of how I view it. I'm not viewing like getting donations, like, you know, uh, selling to people. I just want people to feel comfortable enough that they can make a very small financial contribution to my art, which will allow me to create more and more and more. But, you know, if people are really enjoying your music and they want you to be the best, most interesting, most entertaining um, clarinetist you can be, th- at some point that costs a little bit, you know, yeah, it, it, yes. for all artists, you know, and if, if someone yeah. would crowdfund together the next Radiohead album, I mean, which they probably would, surely the, the next Eric Salazar thing would be worthwhile too, if, if the community is <laughs> interested in it, you know, so. Yep, yeah. So, yeah, I think that, um, so today you have actually provided the entire Clarinet community with a really fantastic article, which is going to be going out on the same day that this podcast is released. And it is about how to uh, build a Facebook page and create great content and start building your following. So that guest post is going to be posted on the Clarinet columns section of the website. So please go ahead and check that out. And uh, maybe what we should do, I don't want to put a time limit on it, but when you get to 20,000 followers and you learn a little bit about how to activate this following, let's chat again. Let's follow up on this. Hey, that sounds good to me. And maybe that'll <laughs> be in two weeks. <laughs> maybe it'll be in, in a year. I don't know. Let's see. Let's leave it open-ended. Okay. That sounds awesome. Yeah, let's do that. So, <laughs> Thanks so much, Eric. You're just a, a really enjoyable guest to chat with. You're so passionate about music and you're doing such compelling things and, uh, it's been a real privilege to get to know you and to, to chat now twice on the podcast. So thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me back. And I really love what you're doing, Sean. I, I think that what you do is so much needed in our community of clarinetists. We, we need to know each other and we need to bond together and enjoy clarinet nerdy things together. And that's what <laughs> you're doing. You're, you're just you're bringing people together to celebrate the clarinet. And I just love that. I love that quote, actually. Might have to steal that. <laughs> hey, you can use it if you want on your website. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Eric. This was just such a such a pleasure, and I hope to see you sooner rather than later. for listening to the Clarinet Podcast. For free content updates, coupons, and a chance to win giveaways mentioned on the show, please be sure to enter your email address at clarinet.com slash subscribe. 
The podcast is brought to you in part by the generous support of its listeners. If you'd like to learn how you can help out, please see clarity.com slash support. Today's episode was brought to you by Diderio Woodwinds. Sanding, shaping, balancing. For centuries, mastering your instrument meant mastering these crafts too. But now, Diderio is refining craftsmanship for the 21st century by refining their reeds and mouthpieces with the world's most innovative techniques. So you can spend less time sanding, shaping, and balancing, and more time perfecting your own craft. To learn more about the new era of craftsmanship from Diderio Woodwinds, visit diderio.com woodwinds.